Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Relationship Center on the Edify Podcast Network, and I'm glad you've tuned in. My name is Anes Wamboye, and I'm glad to be taking you through the second part of our new series, The Benefits of God's Word. What are the benefits of the Word of God? And we've been looking at Psalm chapter 19, and we're going to be reading through this passage and we're going to start from verse 7 going all the way downwards and last week if you didn't listen to that podcast i asked that you go back and tune to it we talked about the 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 word of god being the law of the lord and the bible says that the law of the lord is perfect and what does that perfection do the perfection refreshes the soul and we look and we looked at how our souls can get invigorated by staying in the scriptures how the lord uses the word of god for us believers to invigorate us to ensure that our minds are renewed to ensure that our wills are strengthened and our emotions are purified so we're going to go on with the next one and so i'm going to read psalm 19 from verse 7 all the way down to verse 14 this is what it says i'm reading from the niv version the law of the lord is perfect refreshing the soul the statutes of the lord are trustworthy making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right giving joy to the heart the commands of the lord are radiant giving light to the eyes the fear of the lord is pure enduring forever the decrees of the lord are firm and all of them are righteous they are more precious than gold than much pure gold they are sweeter than honey than honey from the honeycomb by them verse 11 your servant is warned in keeping them there is great reward who can discern their own errors forgive my hidden faults keep your servant also from willful sins may they not rule over me then i will be blameless innocent of great transgression may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight lord my rock and my redeemer and that's the word of the lord so the psalmist here and this is a psalm of david the psalmist here is reiterating reiterating the benefit of 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 imbibing god's word so he began by saying that the law of the lord is perfect refreshing the soul now after he talks about the word of god being a law he now goes and calls the word of god a statute he said the statutes of the lord so the word of god is not only like a law but it's also a statute what's a statute the dictionary definition of a statute is this it's an act that has been implemented by a legislative body an act that has been passed by a legislative body when a corporation or any kind of um, law legal body passes a certain act that act is called a statute and another and another uh, definition says that it is an act of the legislature of a state or country declaring commanding or prohibiting something so it's a declaration and the declaration says hey this is how things run you may find that there is a marriage act and the marriage act declares that marriage is in these conditions 
or you may find that there is an act as far as pay is concerned. You know, this is the minimum wage that the members of our republic are going to get paid. You know, so the acts they note or they depict how life is going to be governed in a certain sphere. And the Bible is saying that the word of God can have certain acts, that the word of God can govern various areas of your life. Now that is important because you find that you're a multifaceted being. You are not unilateral. Even in your approach in things, you just don't use one one, one sphere of your life. Your life is multi-sphered. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, that the human being is tripartite in nature, that there are three parts of us. We have a body, we've got a soul, we've got a spirit. And if you keep studying these parts of us, you realize that we are spiritual people, we are psychological people, we are emotional people, we are physical people. Now, the law of the Lord, the word of God has statutes, and these statutes are sufficient for the governing of all parts of the human being. That if you keenly look at the word of God, you'll realize there's not a part of your life that it is not relevant to. The law of the Lord, the word of God, I should call it the statutes because the law of the Lord was last week. The statutes of the Lord govern your physical life. The Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It speaks concerning the kind of acts that your body should engage in. It says this is what is right for your physical body. Now, whenever acts are passed by legislative bodies, they are normally in favor of the people. They are normally in favor of the people. They are normally to work for the sake of the people. When the act says this is the minimum wage, it is to protect the people from being exploited by people who perhaps may underpay them. And so whenever the Lord is giving this 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 these precepts, not these precepts, these statutes from the scriptures, they are for your good. They are for your good. What is the Lord saying concerning your mind? What are the statutes that the Lord has saying concerning your mind? The Lord is saying, hey, your mind should have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. What is the, Lord of the, what is the word of God saying concerning your will? Your will should be subject to Jesus Christ. Your will should not be enslaved by sin. The Bible says whatever enslaves you, whatever, what, whatever has caught you in its trap, has enslaved you in sin. You don't be a slave to sin. What does the word of God say concerning your emotions? Does it give you wisdom on how to deal with fear? It says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. And what does the word of God say concerning your spirit? There is a way in which the Lord gives us, um, the, the, the Lord expects our spirit man to act, our spirit man to behave as children of the kingdom of God. And we are told these, these statutes, these acts that have been passed by the legislative body, and who is the legislative body? The legislative body here is God himself. God is the author of the scriptures. These statutes, these ways in which your whole being is meant to live, your physical being, your emotional being, your psychological being, your spiritual being, these statutes that are of the Lord, they are not of men. Men's statutes come and go. They are of the Lord. These statutes are trustworthy. What does that mean? That the word of God can be trusted. 
that there may be things that you don't like in the word of God, but the Lord is saying, hey, it may look like it's against you, but it is actually for you. Just the same way governments pass statutes that work for the sake of the people, I want you to know the statutes that the Lord passes are good. They are trustworthy. You can put your hope in them. God's plan for your life is never to destroy you. The Bible says in um, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now think about that. That when God is laying out a plan for you, when God is trying to legislate something for your life, he's thinking about what's good for you. He's thinking about what's great for you. He wants what will benefit you. Now it's very possible because of our sinful nature that we approach God's word and we often look at it as prohibitive. We don't look at it as liberating. Now I want you to look at the first statute that was passed in the world. The first statute came from Genesis chapter 2 when Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden. And this was immediately after Adam was put in the garden. Eve had not yet been put in the garden. The Lord gives a statute to Adam. He says, you may eat of every tree in the garden of Eden, but of the tree of the knowledge of evil, you may not eat of it. For the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And that's Genesis 2, 16 to 17. I want you to look at that statute that the Lord passes. It says, you may eat. Look at how the verse begins in Genesis 2, verse 16. It begins with the possibilities, not the limitations. It begins by saying, you may. There are things that you can do. And it's important for you to see that the word, the, the, the command here, or, or that of the statute here from the Lord, begins with, 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 with something positive. That you may do this. Now, Adam, Adam's primary focus in this statute is to look at the good in it. So if there were 5,000 trees in the Garden of Eden, and then the word of God says you may not eat later, eat from one tree, Adam is meant to do the math. That I have 5,000 trees in the Garden of Eden that I may eat from, and only one that I may not eat from. Now, in order for Adam to see God's word as trustworthy, he should not focus on the one tree from which he cannot eat. Instead, he should see that God has given me 4,999 trees to eat from. What a generous God. My goodness. He would have said I'm only limited to 500 trees. But guess what? He has given me 4,999 trees. You see... When you look at God's word as liberating, it changes your attitude. If Adam saw God's word as something that is liberating, oh wow, look at all this, it's amazing. Look at all the freedom I have. 4,999, I will never exhaust this. But what happens in Genesis chapter 3? The enemy comes, and when the enemy comes, he compels Adam and Eve to look away from the 4,999 and makes them look at the one. And when Adam and Eve turn and look at the one, all of a sudden they become consumed and it looks as if God's word is not liberating. 
All of a sudden, it looks as if God's word is limiting. It looks as if God's word is um, <laughs> curtailing their freedom. And so he puts doubt into their minds. And when he puts that doubt into their minds, they begin to fail to trust God. They begin to think perhaps God's word is not trustworthy. I want to ask you guys, search your heart. In what areas of your life have you refused to trust the Lord because you think that his word is prohibitive? In what parts do you say, you know what, I agree with God's word here and here but not here? Now listen, the Christian life is a life of trust in God. You trust your eternity to your creator. You trust that when you die, you stand in his presence. You've trusted your life after death into his hands. You have given him to you. You have given yourself to him. You see that Christ has given all of himself to you by dying on the cross. And because he's done that, you in turn give yourself to him. Now the cross of Jesus Christ is a perfect way to test the trustworthiness of God. Because the Bible says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now God did not have hundreds of sons. He only had one son. And that one son was dear to him. And yet that one son that was dear to him is the one that he gave up. Why? So that you and I could have eternal life. Now, it's very possible that the Lord knows that even when the Son of God came on earth to die, that there are people who would reject him, that there are people who would scorn his salvation. And yet he, he, he deemed it worth it to still make the trip and die for you. When you've got someone who's done something great for you, when you see someone who's risked their own life for you, and perhaps it's even cost them their life, and then you later find out that this person has got some instructions on how you ought to live, on how you ought to run a few things. You ought to put the two and two, you ought to put the two together and think and say, if he shed his blood for me, look at the generosity of his spirit. Look at the generosity of look at how look at how grand he is. Look at how sacrificing he is. What does that say about his character? That tells me I can trust him. And if I can trust him because of this great act that he has demonstrated, surely, surely when it comes to the word that he's given me, I can trust him as well. You must examine the character of God and see that God's word is consistent with his character. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, he says, you know, come, let's reason together. Your sins may be as red as scarlet, red as crimson, and make them as white as wool, white as snow. He's basically saying, um, you know, you don't trust me? Come. Come, let's reason. Come, let's think this through. Let's look at God's plan. Let's look at the enemy's plan. Let's look at what the enemy is offering you. And let's look what I am offering you. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. God's word can be trusted. Now, there are many people who believe that um, if, if it's good, then I must agree with it. If God's plan is good, then it must make me feel good. Now, your feelings are a deceptive way to live. The Bible says your heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? If you use your feelings as an, if, as an inference to discern what is trustworthy or not, you're going to get conned half your life. Your feelings are fickle. Your feelings come and go. 
Your feelings could stem from pain. Your feelings could stem from immaturity. Your feelings could stem from your sin. Your feelings are not an appropriate way to <clears throat> determine what is trustworthy or not. And so when I meet many believers and they say, oh, but I just don't feel like it. I'm like, um, feeling like it is not an appropriate way to determine if God's word is trustworthy. What is the appropriate way? Spiritual discernment. There are three forms of discernment. You can have emotional discernment, which is the most base form of discernment where you determine what is right and wrong based on how you feel. And then there's rational discernment where you think about it and say, you know what, I think this sounds good. And then the spiritual discernment. Now, emotional discernment being very base is not, necess- is, not, is not the best thing to employ when it comes to reading the word of God. Rational discernment should be employed because the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all our minds as well. But one of the ones that we don't often employ is spiritual discernment where we ask for the mind of God to instruct us on a certain matter. And when we employ rational discernment and and spiritual discernment, guys, you will come to establish for a fact that God's word is indeed trustworthy. Now, what does it say in Psalm 19 verse 7, part B? It says, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. In short, if you trust God's word, there's a simplicity and a naivety that will leave your life. There's a foolishness that will exit your life. And as a result, what will get in? Wisdom. There's a study done by the Center for Bible Engagement, and you can check them out on www.centerforbibleengagement.org. And in this uh, study that the Center for Bible Engagement uh, did, they were looking at the benefits of God's Word. And they studied the lives of 40,000 believers, 40,000 men, women, and children who claimed to be born again, who claimed to be followers of Christ, Uh, And these people were from 24 different countries, 75 denominations between the ages of 8 and 80. And they were studying their Bible reading patterns and how they imbibe the scriptures. And they noticed that there were different reading patterns. There was a group of these people who imbibed the word of God zero times a week. That means as far as reading, hearing it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it, interacting the word of God. It, it was almost close, it was none, no, no interaction, zero times a week. And they notice chronic problems in the life of these people. Loneliness, anger, bitterness, feeling spiritually stagnant, viewing pornography. And then there was a certain group of people who studied the word of God one to three times a week. And those ones who engage the word of God one to three times a week, it could be a sermon on Sunday and then uh, a quiet time and then a Bible reading session, but one to three times a week. Now, they notice the same chronic problems and they didn't notice much of a difference between the lives of these people and the lives of those who did not interact with the word of God at all. I mean, there was an increase, a change, but it wasn't significant. And then they noticed that there was another group of people who interacted with the word of God more than four times a week or four times at more in a week. And when they looked at those people, they began to notice certain huge changes on the scale. And this was, this is what they found. Number one, loneliness went down by 30%. Anger went down by 32%. Bitterness went down by 40%. Alcohol consumption went down by 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant went down by 57%, by 60% rather. Viewing pornography went down by 
the confidence to share one's faith went up by 228%. The desire to disciple others went up by 230%. And the likelihood to memorize scripture went up by 407%. Guys, look at those statistics. Mind-blowing to say the least. What has happened in the lives of these people? I'll tell you what has happened. Their foolishness has left them. Their foolishness has exited. They were once naive concerning bitterness, but now they are wise. They've read the scriptures and the scriptures have told them, hey, you know what? The heart of the believer ought not to harbor anger, bitterness. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. These are the statutes. This is how, you, this is how your relationships ought to be governed. And they heed it. And then loneliness, bitterness goes down by 30%, 40%. Anger goes down by 32%. There are benefits to studying the word of God. Your wisdom is waiting for you. Or rather the wisdom of the Lord is waiting for you. To remove the simplicity and the naivety that is so embedded in our souls. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Father, may you change us. May you make us more like your son so that, Father, we may take your word seriously and trust it to accept all of it, not parts of it, but all of it, and to understand that you've done more than anything to prove that you are trustworthy. You've sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. Lord, may we exchange our foolishness for the wisdom of the word of God. You're purifying us. You're doing this for us and we are grateful. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, for more great podcasts that will build your faith and inspire you, please head over to www.edify.app that is E-D-I-F-I dot A-P-P or you could search for the Edify app in the App Store and in the Google Play Store. And we'll see you next time.